I do have the privilege of closing out our journey series. It's been seven weeks. It's been fun to kind of look at different people's journeys to God. I thought Pastor Rick did a good job kind of setting up the first week, right? Because when we say different journeys, we're not saying, hey, all roads lead to the same place, right? There is one path, one road, one way of God's glorious grace coming to us through the cross of Christ, right? Even the graphic, right? There is one road, but we all can have different starting points, can't we? We can all have different journeys of getting to that road. I kind of look at it as that road, right? Just like a highway, there's a lot of different on-ramps. And that's kind of how I see this. And each on-ramp, man, there's kind of a different barrier that we can all relate to all of them. But on differing degrees, there's a barrier that we need to kind of get over or get around, whether that's doubt or shame, whatever it is for you. There's this one glorious place of God's grace upon you through Christ. But how do we get there? So I, I'm going to close it out with one last journey as we look at different biblical characters that have taken different roads. But I am spoiled this morning because I get to look at the path of the prodigal son. I mean, one of the greatest stories ever told. I mean, Christ gave us this beautiful parable And what can we glean of looking at the journey of the parable of the prodigal son? Some of you, it is familiar. I'm not even going to put it up on the screen. Because it is such good storytelling, I want you to just try to hear it and picture it. Pay attention to the details as we dive into this. And I want to kind of read this over you. So follow along and picture this if you can. This is Luke 15. I'm starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I'm going to stop there for a second because, again, I want us to try to dive into this story. I mean, some of the context, we can miss some of the punch of it, but I think you can feel most of it even not knowing any context. You know, this son goes to his dad and essentially says, give me my inheritance. When do we get an inheritance? When our parents die. What did he just tell him? I don't care about you. I'm living for me, and I'd love to do that sooner than later. He said, I can't wait till you die so I can get my inheritance. And you know what? Why don't we just speed that up? Why don't we just pretend you're dead now, and you can give me my share of the property so I can go about still living for me? One of the craziest parts of the story is the dad just does it. One of my kids comes to me and says this to me. It's going to get real, right? 
Like, Dad, can I have my inheritance? I'm like, you're a PK. How much inheritance do you think you're getting? Like, it's not much. So why are we even doing this? But two, I'm going to give you a 10-second head start. You might want to use it because we're family, but it's crazy. Spits in his dad's face. Can you imagine saying anything more hurtful and insulting and then goes and just lives the good life? He heads to Vegas, gets a penthouse, just wilds out, and then eventually gets on hard times. And again, we miss the pigs thing. But for a Jew, that that's an unclean animal, the shame of that. Right? He goes to Vegas, loses everything, and eventually he's just walking around the buffets, you know, like looking for half-eaten pieces of chicken wings that people left, shoving them in his pockets. Like that's where he's at. And then he goes to the point, and this is, I think this is important. He doesn't get to the point to think, oh, oh, I'm sure my father's going to forgive me. It'll be great. He knows his father will never love him as a son again. But he holds out a little bit of hope. Maybe he'll pity me. Let me be a servant, and that way at least I can eat. That's where the story is here. And I, I want you to picture this, right? Think of the shame of how messed up he's been. And then even close your eyes, if you will. I want you to picture this as he finally comes to his senses. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I mean, the beautiful picture of that. And I love the visual. I mean, picture just the father just running to the son, embracing him in his shame. And I want you to hear this. No matter how messed up you feel, how dirty and shameful you feel, God knows everything you've ever done, everything you are doing, everything you will do. And this is how our God feels about you. He longs to run to you and embrace you if you will just repent and come to him. I mean, one of the most beautiful stories ever told. Maybe you're wondering yourself, like, man, isn't that similar to the sinful woman? It is. And this sermon isn't about that son. Everything about that son is true, But which is interesting, this is one of the greatest stories ever told with one of the worst names ever given. Now, you got to understand, these names weren't original. The prodigal son. And that's how we essentially just remember it, right? That's kind of the meat of the story. But how did the story begin? The father had how many sons? Two. And some of you pridefully knew that. And this sermon's actually for you, so I'm coming for you. (laughs) I knew that. Right? That it isn't, what if I told you this, that the prodigal son isn't primarily about the prodigal son? When I first began to see this, it was like, wow. 
See, I used to just read it like the prodigal son was the main story, and I knew there was other stuff, but that was just kind of the epilogue. You know, in a book where they just wrap some stuff up? Now that I've studied this, I see it the reverse. I think the prodigal son is the prologue, setting up kind of the real drama of the story. And if you don't believe me, look back into the beginning of Luke 15. Why did he tell the story of the prodigal son? Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, clearly the prodigal son in the character. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Who's he telling the parable to? Not younger sons, but the other son. And that was shocking to me. And now to dive into the drama, now everything about the prodigal son is true. When people feel shameful and far from God, I read them Luke 15. You should, but man, the real meat, the point of the story, at the very least, the primary audience is the other son. So that's where I want to pick up the story again, not just looking at the beauty of the prodigal, but now let's look at the other son. So read along. We'll follow as I read this from the screen. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Right? So this amazing story of the son coming back, the older brother out in the field starts to head back in. What's it say? He hears a party going on. He's walking in from the field, and then he starts to hear it, like, what? Right? He yells to the servants, what is happening? What is that? He's like, that's the Black Eyed Peas. He's like, I know it's the Black Eyed Peas. Why am I hearing this right now? In case you were sleeping, I want to get you awake. (laughs) Right? He's walking in, he hears it. And then, at this point, again, he doesn't know. Like, you got to dive into the story. He's like, oh my gosh, you haven't heard. Your brother's back. Oh, really? My loser brother who almost ruined this family is back. Yeah, let's party it up. Do you want to come into the party? Are you kidding me? Hard pass. He almost wrecked this family and we're going to party. I got stuff to do. Now he's out in the field. And the story picks up. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the father comes out to him. And I want you to notice again the storytelling. You notice kind of the son came in to start his speech, the younger son, and the father cuts him off to shower grace. Now the father comes out in love and the son cuts him off to spew his anger and bitterness. And he's mad. And again, notice the difference. The fattened calf to the young goat. 
He's like, are you kidding me? When he comes home, he gets cheddar biscuits and Chick-fil-A. I don't even get any BK. You want to give me a four for four in here, right? You see the difference? It's like you're in the fancy room that you only celebrate Christmas at, and that's what he gets when he comes home. You know, it's too, like we all recognize this move, this son of yours, and then he switches it back to brother. He's so angry at him, he can't even call him his brother. You know that move when you're, you're too angry at your kids, you can't even call them your kids, where you're like, babe, you better talk to your kids, because your kids are crazy right now, Right? I mean, that's where he just has to distance, and that's what's happening. He's so angry, and he corrects him and brings it back, and the father comes out, invites him into the party, the older brother out in the field, and how does the older brother respond? We don't know. (laughs) It's not a tech glitch. He leaves as a cliffhanger. We don't know. That's how the story ends. The older brother off in the field in a party going on. And that's the journey I want to talk about this morning. Pharisees didn't miss it, nor should we. See, this story isn't primarily giving to prodigals. If you're a prodigal, it applies to you. But he's given to the good religious people, to the people that believe in God, trying to be good people, not to those messy, dirty sinners. This is the journey of the good kid raised in church, never strayed. And that's who he is talking to. It's kind of fun. I haven't been in the pulpit for a while. And maybe you think like, oh, wow, you've, you've had about four weeks to write this sermon. And I'd have to correct you. I've been writing this sermon 40 years. That's the journey I took. I mean, some of it hits me even more going back to see family, right? And all that stuff just comes back. So that's who I was. In my family, I was the good kid. Right? There was a lot of dysfunction. So like the security and stability, that acceptance that we all needed, we didn't feel was sufficiently there. So my siblings zigged and I zagged. They went negative attention. I went positive attention. I got to be the good kid. It's kind of funny. I don't know your paradigm of what that means for you. I don't know that I'd be the good kid in everybody's family, but in my family, I was. Like, no joke, true story. All my siblings, I'm the only one never stolen a car. True. My little sister boosted a car, jumped in it, wrecked it. And so I was always the one not in jail, not on drugs. And I went that way. (laughs) And everybody knew it. See, it's funny. You could think of all the big stories, crazy stories. It's the little ones that always hit me that I think about. Because I remember... Before TVs were smart and we just had dumb TVs where, like, you had to go bring the movie to your TV. It didn't just find it in the TV. I remember being in a video store. And I remember my brother coming up to me like, hey, ask him if we get this movie. And I'm like, I don't want to watch that movie. You ask. It's like, but if I ask, they'll say no. If you ask, they'll say yes. So I was like, no. <laughs> right? He knew I'm the bad one. I'm the troublemaker. I'm not going to get it. If you ask, maybe you'll get it. And so they went negative attention. I just went to achievement and trying to earn love. I remember yeah, another silly story. I used to play this game as a kid I thought was funny. As a parent, now I know it's not a funny game. I used to ask my mom just hypotheticals. Mom, what would you do? 
I remember asking her, Mom, what would you do if I, if I got somebody pregnant? It's not a fun game. <laughs> and I remember her answer. It seemed innocent at the time. I remember her saying, you wouldn't do that. Your brothers and sisters, maybe. Not you. And then it's just like the concrete just solidified in my soul. I'm the good kid. I don't mess up. And we weren't all that different. We were looking for the same thing. But I set me on a path. Okay, it's not there. But man, if I'm just if I'm just smart enough, if my grades are good enough, if I get a good enough job, if I'm athletic enough, and I'm just chasing it, if I can be good enough, then maybe I can feel accepted. If I can just you know date enough attractive people, if I can be tall enough, I gave that up quick. I never made it. <laughs> right, but just constant pressure. If I can just be good enough and get a good enough job, do enough good stuff, then maybe I'll feel worthy. Maybe then I'll feel accepted because that's what a good kid does. It's not a fun journey. It's tiring, right? Because on the outside, it can look totally different. But in the inside, it's the same brokenness, right? I remember just hearing that like Twitch, that famous guy, right? They say, oh, he was so happy. On the outside, everything's great. But on the inside, it's a hard journey. And you put your hope in it. Clearly, that's what the older brother did. He put his hope in that. He went to his resume. I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. That's what made him okay because he was so good. But here's some of the dangers of it. If that's what I'm putting my hope in, if that's what my identity is in, that I'm the good kid, I can't lose that. So now I have to highlight and even exaggerate my goodness. What do you say? I have never disobeyed you. Slow down, homie. He's an adult at this point. You've never made a mistake. But if I'm good, that's what I have to do. To this day, when I do something good, I can feel myself thinking about, okay, how can I work this into a conversation? How can I bring this up and brag about it but not look like I'm bragging about it? Because that's what good kids do, right? I mean, it's still, I just want to bring it up because you know why? I need you to know that I'm good. Because I'm good, I'm a good kid. Look at the good things I do. So I'm forced to now highlight and exaggerate my goodness. What do you do with the bad stuff? You have to hide it. I can't not be good. And again, I've never disobeyed you. I can't acknowledge my sin. Now, which one of these deals with shame? Both. One's just out in the open. And one's a secret shame of trying to hold it together, knowing I'm not that good. So what do I do? I just hide it because I have to be good. I can be judgmental of other people. And that, how do I feel good? Well, I can get it a couple ways. I can exaggerate my goodness, or I can make everybody else look bad. What did he say when his brother came home? Again, notice the storytelling. Your son who blew that on prostitutes, did he? Never said that. Never said that. He said reckless living. And at this point, of course, the brother has no idea. He doesn't know what he got into. But if I can make the world out there, everybody be real nasty, dirty sinners, then I can be a good person, right? There's a couple real nasty Grinches, but us townspeople, we're generally good. So I can become hypercritical and judgmental of everybody else because I got to be good. How do I do that? Well, I'm not one of those nasty, bad people out there. And what's the result of that kind of living? It's tiring. You can hear the bitterness. 
Why is he so bitter that his brother gets this? Because he thinks he deserves it, that he's entitled to it. Why did you never give me a goat? I'm the good one. That's some of the danger of being a good kid. It leads you to feel entitled. I deserve this. No one admits to being entitled. If I said who's entitled, nobody would raise their hand. But you know, I know that I am, that we are, when that bitterness sets in. I don't get bitter when I don't receive something I don't deserve. If you don't give me $100 after service, I'm not like, dang it. I don't, unless you want to. Have, you know, uh, the door's open, but... But I don't deserve that. I don't get mad. Even if something's hard, when do I get bitter? I deserve that. And things go bad in life, whether it be my own health, my own job. Why am I bitter? Because look what all I've done. I'm a good person. I deserve it. And bitterness sets in. There's no joy. This is the part that I had to really wrestle with. He said, you have never given me a goat. Now, we know the characters, right? The prodigal is the sinners. We know the father is the loving heavenly father. Did he really never celebrate his own kid? I don't think that's it. But when you're good and you deserve good things and entitled, you've never received a gift in your life. I think it happened and he never saw it. It's not a gift. That's what I deserve. I've worked hard. I've done good. I deserve this. It's a joyless Living, it's a sad way to live. There's no peace. Because I don't just have this, I'm constantly earning it. I need to be good enough. How good is good enough? Nobody knows. There's no answer. So you're constantly trying to excel and achieve to feel accepted. And it's a tiring journey. But I want to tell you, for me, I think one of the most dangerous things about this journey I want you to think about it, and I kind of want to draw it out for you. I've seen this, and I want to see it's helpful to try to spatially understand the prodigal son, right? You have the loving father, and we know, okay, that represents God and his two sons. Where's the prodigal son? He's off, far, far away in a distant land. So that's the younger son, desperate. Remember the eating the pigs? Put a little pig in there. Where's the older son? Right there, right in the field. So before the prodigal son comes home, right, this is kind of a spatial understanding. And this is why the journey of a good kid, a good church kid raised in church, never did anything too bad, why it's so dangerous. Let me ask you something. Which one of them is further from God? Now we know it's a little bit of a loaded question. Like geographically, what it seems like on the surface, that the prodigal son is so far away, but yet is so much closer to coming home. And the older good kid is so close to God, but yet so much further from coming home. See, the danger of this journey is it's the one journey that makes you think you don't have a journey to take. He's so close. He's a good kid. He can convince everybody that he 
is right there. I mean, it seems like it. Even in our our understanding, right? If you see a good kid in church, and then you see a bad kid outside of church, which one's in a better spot? Well, surely the good kid. But we don't understand the barrier that goes along with that. Because we can convince ourselves that we're so close to God and never take the journey home. How many people are backyard Christians, so close, seemingly good, believe all the right things, but never took the journey home? I'm terrified as a pastor, raising kids as pastor's kids. They're going to come from a good home, be around church, and oh, you know, maybe they don't make big mistakes, and they think they're okay. And they never make it home. That's the scary thing about this. You're so close, and then you trust in your goodness, but here's the downside. Your, whatever that is, whether it be your religion or your behavior, your goodness gives you blindness to your lostness. Oh, I've always been a Christian. Yeah, no, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. We're good. But that goodness creates a blindness to your true lostness. The father comes out inviting them in. Clearly they're lost. Which one of these sons is lost? Both. And here's the scary part. Only one knows it. Only one realizes they're lost. And you know it had to be an older brother in the master storytelling. It's it's not an older sister, and you know why? Because these guys were never lost, right? You know, I mean, pre-GPS, but why do guys never ask for directions? You know, your wife would say, because your pride was a guy, because <laughs> I ain't lost, <laughs> you know? Where are you? I'm in Ohio. <laughs> and there you are, so close to God, but if you never truly come to grips with your lostness and your brokenness, You won't come home, and that's the scary part. We all know prodigals, but what Jesus is showing them is how many, how many churches are filled with prodigals in plain sight. Which one of these is the real prodigal? Which one of these stays lost? We don't know if they find their way home. How many prodigals in plain sight do we have? Just good folks that never, because they're good and didn't realize it, never really came home. The big thing is, can you surrender that? Can you let go of your identity of being a good person and hope in that to experience that joy of coming home? I mean, part of it you have to realize, this is all of us inside get to, we're not that good. I heard a great sermon title, Good People Don't Go to Heaven. If you're hoping in your goodness, you're in trouble. And ultimately, we have to come to grips with, again, even if our life looks okay on the outside, in here, it's not okay. Somebody reminded me of this passage. I think especially if you struggle with kind of, no, I'm a good person, I find this convicting. This is Revelation 20. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. Like this is coming in your life. At some point you will die and you will stand before God. And do you know what happens in that moment? It says books are opened. 
There's the book of life of those who received grace. And then there's the book of everything you have ever done. How long is that going to take to read through that book? How many pages every day do I add to that book from my fallenness? I mean, this isn't just sins committed, right? This is sins omitted. Think of all the times God told you to give, told you to forgive, and we didn't. That goes in the book. Not just the big sins that we commit, right? It talks about coveting, the anger, the lust, the pride in my heart. And it's going to be all listed out. I remember somebody who struggled with being a good kid said, I can't wait for that moment. And I thought, you're a psycho. (laughs) Does that not sound like the most vulnerable, worst thing that could ever happen, especially if you've held on to the lie that you're a good person? He said, you know why? I've struggled to believe that lie my whole life. Now, he's given his life. I know that's all forgiven. But in that moment, I won't believe that lie anymore. In that moment, staring at the mountain of my sin, I'll know beyond the shadow of a doubt, it's always been grace. And I am not as good as I've tried to pretend to be my whole life. And it'll be just a moment of worship. It was grace. I never came close to deserving this. We're not as good as we let on. And if we hold on to that, it's dangerous. Both lost, but only one realizes it. See, part of the magic of the story is it builds the uncertainty, but then it clarifies of what ultimately is uncertain. What do we think is uncertain? If God can really love somebody like me, can God really accept me? We think that's uncertain. And that's the beauty where the father just cuts off that story. Are you kidding me? That's never in question whether God will receive you. There is zero doubt about that. The only thing, you got to put the uncertainty in the right place. It's not uncertain whether God will love you and accept you. The only thing that is uncertain is will you realize that you need it and run home? That glorious highway is one of grace. What is grace? Undeserved love. You know who never experiences the undeserved love of God? Those that think they deserve it. Until I can be broken and understand that I can't earn this and I'm so tired of trying. Listen to, and again, this is the difference. This is what sends one home and doesn't the other. Listen to their two approaches. These are the two sons. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But then the older, the older son Look, these many years I have served you. I've been a servant. I've been a slave. What do you deserve? They answered that question very differently. One knew he deserved slavery and got sonship. One convinced himself that he deserved to be a son and got slavery. One knew I don't deserve anything, but because of God's grace received everything. 
one thought, I deserve everything and got nothing. To be to that point, that's the linchpin to realize it's grace. I can't earn it. I can't put confidence in my flesh in being this good person. We make too much of our goodness and our badness. And that's what the story comes to light, that it's not about that. They're both broken. They're both selfish. They're both sinners, both lost. But it's not about who's good and who's bad. It's about who repents and comes to him. What I wouldn't give if my siblings were alive today to be able to look at them, Amy, you weren't the bad one. And I was the good one. We are the broken and busted ones. And I'm just as desperate for him as you are. I'm just as needy for his forgiveness as you are. But get to that place that I'm no better, that you're no better than anyone else. The sad part is people go into church prodigals in plain sight, and they think the message is a good person telling good people how to be better people. That isn't the gospel. The gospel is broken people saying where they can find healing in a loving God. So I love that phrase. I'm not up here telling you how to be good. I'm up here. It's just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's not about the sons if we had to rename this. So do we switch it? Oh, now do we call this the older son? It has nothing to do with that. You make too much. We make too much of our badness and our goodness. And it's not about that. It's about his graciousness. And do you recognize your need for that? Will we humble ourselves and run to the Father and realize it's always been about his love and his grace? You bow your heads and pray. Father, that it's scary to admit our idols, our false identities that we cling to, whether that be in our badness or in our goodness. Father, would you forgive us of our pride? As if we're good people that we could earn your love, will you free us? from that prison, that tiring prison of trying to earn your love by being good enough and how that leads to such bitterness and judgmental lives, Father. Father, would you free us of that? God, that we wouldn't miss the journey. We've fooled people for so long. Even though it seemed so close, Father, what would be take that journey realizing we don't deserve it and run home to you, our loving Father. In Jesus' name.